think we need a lot of help in understanding God's word today, so how about we pray and ask him for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning around your word, your holy scriptures, knowing that you have spoken them to us, for us today, that you use your word uh, to point us to yourself, to remind us and challenge us of your good gospel, your good news of life and salvation. Uh, So, Lord, as we come to this section of your word this morning, please help us. Please help us to be attentive to your voice. Lord, help us to be able to understand what you're saying to us today. And, Lord, as we leave uh, today's service, Lord, help us not to just uh, forget all that you've uh, been doing in our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take it into a new week of looking to you, and serving you and following Jesus above all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in 1789, Benjamin Franklin famously said, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Well, taxes are not to endorse this, but complex accounting, tax deductions, earning less than the income threshold, or moving to a tax-free country could help with the certainty of tax. But death, death is certain, isn't it? It's inevitable. Death might come quick. It might come in its ripe old age. It might come naturally. It might come unexpectedly. Death comes to the wise, to the wicked. It makes no prejudice on who you are or where you come from. Death is that topic that we in today's modern society rarely talk about. And when we do, we embellish it. We say things we probably don't believe to make it feel a bit easier. We don't even like saying the words that he or she died. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he refers to death as the enemy, our foe, lurking in the background out to get us. You see, no matter who you are, death affects us all. Well, if you're expecting a light and breezy message uh, this morning for Father's Day, unfortunately, you came to the wrong place. Uh, We're probably tackling one of the most confronting topics there is. Uh, We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, We've almost finished uh, our series in it. And this book has been focusing on the preacher or the teacher, most likely King Solomon, and his investigation, trying to find meaning, purpose, and satisfaction in life under the sun. That's life in this here and now world. And through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, he's talked about death, And he's talked about enjoying life too. But here, these two topics become center stage in the preacher's focus. So Solomon, he tells his first listeners and us today about his findings, his conclusions on death and life under the sun. And he uses this as a springboard, this idea of death and its certainty to talk about life, how to live in light of death. Well, there's a bit of debate in uh, where this passage ends. Some say it's the end of verse 10, with verse 11 starting something different. Others say it goes up to verse 12, with verse 11 and 12 
highlighting almost the same thing as verse 1 to 6. Uh, so this morning, we're going to tackle this passage the second way. And we're going to look at verse 1 to 6. We're going to jump to verse 11 and 12. And then we're going to finish with this middle chunk of verse 7 to 10. Well, as we begin chapter 9, it's great to have your Bibles open, physical, or your phones, or your tablets. And I think it's worth looking back at the last two verses of chapter 8 for a bit of context. Verse 16 in chapter 8 says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in its seeking, he will not find it out. Even though wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You see, last week's passage ended with comments beginning to summarize all of his findings, thinking about all the work that's done on earth and all the work of God. And verse 1 in chapter 9 continues this sort of summarizing. It starts says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. The preacher reflects on all this, all the work of God, all that is done on earth. And the observation here that even if you're wise and righteous, You're still not in control. You're no different to the foolish and the wicked. You're going to have that same mixed experience in life. And even in that mixed experience, since chapter 8 reminds us that we don't know God uh, and we don't know how God is working, we don't even know how if our experience is out of God's love, his favor, or God's hate, his anger, It's so futile and unsettling. It's so much this way that the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible between verse 1 and 2 adds the word vanity in again to emphasize it, which the NRSV includes. But if you think here the preacher is going to bring some comfort to this uncertainty, we actually see that he makes matters worse. He gets even more real, even more honest and blunt, but still unsettling nonetheless. Have a look at verse 2. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. You see, while our experience of life is uncertain, there's one certain event that's common to all. Death. Everybody who is born will die. 
no matter if you're righteous or wicked, good or evil, ritually clean or unclean, religious, non-religious, it doesn't matter. Death doesn't discriminate. Death doesn't play favorites. It's inevitable. Death captures all people. And the preacher here, he's outraged on behalf of all of us. It's evil for all of us. Our hearts are full of evil in the way of misery. We live experiencing madness in the way of foolishness because we live and then we die and that's all. The next few verses show the bleakness of death and the goodness of life. Verse 4. But, who, but he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. You see, in those days, uh, lions were royal and beasts, while dogs were dirty scavengers, not cute little furry animals. And this proverb is essentially saying that it's better to be alive than to be dead. Verse 5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. See, the preacher is saying that being alive, knowing the certainty of death, it's better than being dead because the dead are gone. They don't experience anything. They have no share in the living. You see, if Solomon was going to correct Benjamin Franklin, he would say something like, actually, there's one thing certain in life. It's death. No matter who we are or what we experience in life, death captures all people. And as we mentioned before, the topic of death, it bookends this passage and this section. As we jump to verse 11, have a look. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. The preacher again looks at all his overall findings, and again, he says, it doesn't matter. The fastest doesn't win the race always. The strong doesn't always win the battle. The wise don't always earn the big bucks to put the food on the table. And the smart and the knowledgeable don't always prosper. Life isn't linear and predictable. Just ask Stephen Bradbury. Just ask any All Blacks fan before our big win last night. I'm an All Blacks fan. Ask any architect what they think about how much an engineer gets paid. Ask anyone in science and research. Many inventions came from stolen ideas where the real inventor never got the credit, including, apparently, the humble television. Life is unpredictable. Time and chance affects everything. And then the preacher applies this to death in verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when suddenly it falls upon them. The reality of time and chance in life is now applied to death. And the conclusion is 
We simply don't know our time. It's like fish being caught in a net or birds being caught in traps. Death can strike at any time. It can come sudden. It can come unexpectedly. We just don't really know. So we've seen the preacher's been blunt, real. He's laid it all out. But nothing he said should be surprising. We all do die. And death can strike at any time. Death is a topic that we as humans respond to differently, each of us. Some of us ignore the subject. Some of us are crippled by it. Some of us try to live like no tomorrow in response to it. And most of us probably respond in all of these different ways in different times and seasons in life. And while the theme and topic in this section is definitely centered on death, I actually think that if we want to have a look closer, if we want to be precise, the preacher holds out death, but his real application, his challenge here, is really about how to live in light of the certainty of death. Almost every chapter we've seen so far has had a verse, a comment, an exhortation to enjoy life. But here, against the background of death, we've seen, we see here the most sustained and the most comprehensive urge to enjoy life. Before we launch into verse 7 to 10, uh, I've been wrestling over these comments to enjoy life in Ecclesiastes. Are they cynical? Are they real exhortations? And who are they directed to? All people, only believers, or only non-believers? It's one of the tensions in how we read Ecclesiastes. And the answer is probably not so simple, because it's likely a mix of them all. But as you've seen in the past few weeks, uh, Tim and I have taken a positive view on these comments. They are real challenges. And they're real challenges that apply on one level generally to everyone to enjoy life, but on a deeper level, specifically for the believer in God to enjoy life given by our great God. So let's have a look at the centerpiece of his argument here, starting in verse 7. Go. This is a challenge. It's a command. Go. Carry on. Get on with it. Quit your complaining. There's no time to waste. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. You see, amidst the certainty, the backdrop of death, he says, live well, enjoy life, live with urgency. This sort of writing, it wasn't unique uh, to this writing in ancient times. In fact, there's a strong similarity to an ancient Near East poem called the Epic of Gilgamesh that's dated from before the time of Abraham. And it says the same thing, fill your bellies, be merry, be joyful, delight in your wife, and wear fresh clothes. 
if you have a look, an ancient Egyptian funeral song actually contains similar advice too. But what sets Solomon's counsel apart is that his urge to enjoy life It's set within a framework, a worldview that's acknowledging God and his work in the world. We saw that in chapter 8. And here acknowledging that God approves, he delights in our enjoyment of life and God's gifts. Verse 7. So I think the preacher speaks to everyone amidst the certainty of death. Enjoy life, live well, and live with urgency. And he also speaks specifically to the one who believes in God. Again, amidst the certainty of death, God, he's got a positive view of life. So enjoy it, live well, and live with urgency. Just as the passage says, eat with joy. I like that one. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Both these commands have a cheerful and a joyful and a festive outlook. Let your garments be white and your head anointed. It's not talking about purity or cleanliness here. It's talking about festivals and celebrations of the time. These were outward signs for joy in these occasions. If you're married, enjoy life with your spouse. Even marriage is a world, is a this world only thing to enjoy. If we think about it, there's been parts of Christianity uh, where you're taught to run away from enjoyment in created things, whether it be shunning society, no TV, no movies, no good food, no alcohol, no holidays, no non-Christian friends, no computer games, no new clothes, no technology, not in the name of discipline, but because God apparently forbids it. But here, the preacher shows that God has a positive view on life. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's our portion as we live in this world, as we fear God, acknowledge him, and put him first. John Piper calls it Christian hedonism, finding joy in the God of the gospel, leading to finding joy in all of God's good gifts. And of course, the Bible has much more to say about materialism, pleasure, and idolatry of that too. But here in Ecclesiastes, fueled by the certainty of death, the limited time we have in this world, God wants us to go and enjoy God's good gifts. Verse 10 underlines this urgency. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, in death, to which you are going. I think this is a rebuke against wasting time. It's another call to get on with it. Do whatever comes your way. Get busy, work hard. Take the opportunities that come and do it with all your might and all your being. Because if you think about it in death, There's no work. There's no thinking. There's nothing in death. Here we see the preacher letting the certainty of death teach us how to live today, to live well, to enjoy life, and to live with urgency. 
Well, as we've worked through, I think, one of the summary moments in Ecclesiastes, we've seen Solomon tease out the, th the theme of death, including the question of how to live in light of this certainty of death. We've mentioned that both themes, death and living well, enjoying life, have been weaved through all of Ecclesiastes. And both themes actually are weaved through all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And both themes, they're transformed by the person and the work of Jesus. So we're going to work through each theme, death and enjoying life, and see what Solomon's teaching in Ecclesiastes means for us, you and me today, as we follow Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And the first theme we've seen today is death. The preacher says here that we all die and death can strike at any time. And we see death actually right in the beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Death entered the world. And since then, death has ruled and reigned. Death has been that certainty in life, that result of sin and the fall and humanity's rebellion against God. You see, that's where the world was at when Ecclesiastes was spoken and written down. But that's not all the Bible says about death, because the person and the work of Jesus changes everything about death. Because remember, and we've heard this all throughout today's service, that God sent his one and only, his perfect son, Jesus, who entered our world, who lived the perfect life, who, de who defeated death as he died for our sins and rose from the dead into resurrection life. And as you and me, as we trust in the risen Lord Jesus, death is not the end. Because even though we still die in this world, Jesus, he paves the way for resurrection life, eternal life, eternal salvation, life in the new creation forever. That new song that we sang before is highlighting the truth of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And as we believe in Jesus, we won't perish, but we have eternal life. You see, God has reversed the effects of the fall, and he's done this in Jesus. He brings life. Jesus offers us life instead of death. The same Jesus who in John chapter 11, before bringing Lazarus back from the dead, he proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the Jesus who died, was buried in a tomb, who rose from the dead, appearing to his disciples and multiple witnesses. And writing in light of this, Paul the Apostle proclaims in 1 Corinthians about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, because of all Christ has done for us, 
we look forward to the reality painted right at the end in Revelation 21 of that new and perfect creation where sin and death will be no more. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Yes, under the sun, death is inevitable. But in Jesus, Jesus has changed everything about death under the sun. Because even amidst the certainty of physical death under the sun, Jesus, he offers up and he's paved us the way, the hope of new life forever. Or maybe this morning, you know this, you know all of this stuff. Well, as we consider death under the sun, let this passage cause you to hold on to Jesus, to be reminded afresh that Jesus changes everything about death, that the certainty of death doesn't make life meaningless because Jesus has given you new life as he died and rose again into new life. Or maybe this morning you don't know this, that for you death really is the end. Or Jesus, he holds out to you the hope of life after death. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you accept his free gift of new life and salvation? You see, Jesus has changed everything about facing death in this world. Take him seriously today. Investigate his claims. And my hope is that you would believe in Jesus and accept his free gift of life and salvation. So we keep going. Our second theme that we see in Ecclesiastes is life. You see, death teaches us to live well to enjoy life and to live with urgency. And God always wanted humanity to enjoy life, to enjoy his creation, his good gifts. That's what life was like before sin and death entered the world. Adam and Eve in the garden enjoying God's creation, enjoying life and God's good gifts. Solomon, he echoes this positive view of life in Ecclesiastes here, even after sin and death have entered the world, God still, he still wants his people to enjoy his creation and to do this by living well and living with urgency. Well, if the resurrection of Jesus again changes everything about death in this world, what does it teach us about how we live facing death today? Well, the Apostle Paul, he reflects on life and death in light of the saving work of Jesus. And in Philippians 1, verse 21 to 23, he touches on this topic and he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. See, Paul, 
says in these famous verses that to live, yes, it's about enjoying life and God's good gifts, but in light of the cross of Jesus that changes everything, life, it's all about living for Jesus. That's what living well and living urgency is measured by. That's what our toil and our labor is for. And Paul, he also looks at death. He says it's not the end, it's not nothing. Death is actually gain for the fall of Jesus, to be with Christ Jesus in glory. You see, in light of the saving work of Jesus, we're compelled to live for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And knowing the certainty of physical death, to enjoy God's good gifts, but to also live well for Jesus, to labor for Jesus, and to do this with urgency. And doing this in light of that final day, that day of salvation and judgment, where those who belong to Jesus finally get to enjoy new life in God's new creation forever. Where Solomon's call to enjoy life ultimately finds its fulfillment and destination. So let me ask you this morning, how does the certainty of death inform how you live for Jesus today? Are you living well for Jesus? Are you living with urgency for Jesus? Are you laboring for Jesus and his mission? Or are you living more for your own well-being? Maybe even living lazily for Jesus. Well, as we finish off this morning, if death is a certainty in life, each of us, whether we're young or old, believer or unbeliever, we will grapple with the matter of death. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants you to live well, to enjoy life, and to live with urgency, and to let the thought of death move our gaze above the sun, to move it to our great and gracious God who's changed everything about life and death in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus rose from the dead into new life and this changes everything. It paves the way for people like you and me to receive eternal life and it reshapes how you and I live amidst the certainty of death that we might echo what the Apostle Paul says uh, in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray in light of God's word this morning. Father God, we hear the words of the Apostle Paul, to live is for Christ, to die is gain. Help us to know this morning that in Jesus you've changed everything about death under the sun. Our good and gracious Father, help us to live well and with urgency for Christ. And as we face the reality of death, Father God, help us to grasp onto the hope, the certain and assured hope that you've given us of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in his name. Amen.